I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Alifair Skeeby from Albany, New York. She's a visual artist and poet, author of several books, and the publication of her latest book, Thin Matter, has just been announced as of November 15 this year by Foothills Publishing. She'll be reading her poems and expressing her views about poetry, as all of our features do. And particularly, you may find interesting as she explicates the idea of elliptical poems. After that, you'll hear me giving a short review of Rita Dove's recently published Complete Poems. She was the youngest poet laureate at age 40 when she was appointed to that post. And uh, her new work is just wonderful. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today in Albany, New York, is Alifair Skeeby. She's a visual artist and author of the book Thin Matter, just published in 2016. And she works when she's not writing poetry or painting. She is an English writing lecturer in the Education Opportunity Program at the University of Albany. Alifair, I'm so glad we could do this. Thank you, Charlie. I'm so glad you invited me to do this with you. And I'm going to start right off by asking you, what is the new book about? Tell me about the new book. So my new book is called Thin Matter, and it is a collection of poems that are fairly metaphysical in, um, in their incarnation currently. Um, and they're also somewhat persona-driven. Um, I started Thin Matter uh, this summer collecting those poems because they were the voice that I wasn't currently writing in. So they're all these sort of baby poems that didn't fit in with what I was doing at the time, going back to 2008 when I was teaching a class called Forms of Poetry, and we were working through prosody, and then the the last um, unit of that class was quote-unquote elliptical poetry, and we looked at um, Stephen Burt's article um, that was sort of lambasting um, Susan Wheeler's work as this new mode of writing um, that in actuality um, Robert Penn Warren had been writing about in the 1940s as somewhat sort of missing, and elliptical is like, you know, this, this poetry where you sort of have to fill in the blanks as you're reading it, you know, it's very interactive in that sort of way. It's a poem that that co-creates. It, it relies on the reader to also insert information. Um, but at the same time, it's based on kind of a an I, a kind of unknown I or persona that um, we um, have. And, and because we have multiple identities, we don't have like a singular identity in the way that we see the world, the poem itself engages in different levels of genre. And by that, I mean, there may be sort of informative, you know, you have descriptive material that comes into the poem. Mm -hmm. You may have a little bit of narrative, but you don't have a narrative from start to finish. And maybe you have an overcritical self 
Or maybe you have the metaphysical self that's like trying to experience being in the world at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, wow, this is such a neat way of, of kind of looking at, at poetry and creating poetry. But I wasn't writing in that vein at the time. I was actually writing more lyrical and somewhat narrative poetry that was that kind of beginning, middle, and end kind of poetry. Mm. And um, and so these were like the poems that kind of got stuck in a file that I just started writing because poetry for me, um, sometimes I can sit down and I'll write a poem from start to finish and that's a good poem and maybe I'll craft it or whatever. But then there are these other ones that just sort of come out of nowhere. I'm just inspired to write this poem and and these are that kind of um, inspired elliptical poems that just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> you're, you're reminding me of a couple of things. One, you're reminding me of uh, Bly talking about leaping poetry. Is mm. that related to this or am I going in a different direction when I think of that about how there are these gaps, you know, and, and ideally your, your, your leap is just enough so people still know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But they can make the connection, but the more tenuous it is, and you can still make the connection, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, does this yeah. Like leaping? <laughs> yeah, and, and when you talk about that, it also makes me think a little bit of Richard Hugo's um, choir girls in the, in, the, um, in the corn silo, you know, where he's talking about kind of the outrageousness of poetry which is also sort of sound based and image based and metaphysical yeah. and that and that those also are kind of cognitive leaps that we make yeah. in any kind of poem you know between what we experience in reality and what experience we experience imaginatively uh -huh. that may not be physical reality but it's somewhere out there you're reminding me of lots of stuff also reminds me of <laughs> Dos Passos USA because he yes. uses the, the newspaper things and the other stuff as does in a way Williams with Patterson yeah. coming in from different angles on whatever it is that's the focus yes. uh, maybe it's not exactly a sharp focus it's just hitting something from different approaches yeah I think you got it okay that. and that's elliptical poetry which I did not know that phrase yeah okay cool yeah um, people who are studying up on this probably won't know that article you talked about, right? <laughs> maybe, um, yeah. and maybe they don't. It's um, it's kind of something that's come in and out of poetry discussions hmm. for a number, you know, for like almost a century, um, but yeah. hasn't quite caught on yet. And I think a lot of the work that, that poets are doing today um, are really investigating that kind of voice because hmm. we don't have a unified self and also because we're in such a literate, multi-dimensional media driven culture we've got different kinds of voices coming at us from all different sides you could turn on a podcast you could turn on the radio you could look on social media you could do all these things at the same time and be getting a kind of disjointed narrative yeah. in every moment that you experience in the day and this poetry is sort of out of that moment it's of it yeah. and, and beyond it I think we should hear, hear an example of, of this kind of poetry. That's <laughs> that's very interesting. The fact that it matches the normal daily life of multimodal intake. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to read this one um, called By the Riverbank. By the Riverbank. Rivulets snake through the mind like words, like sand, 
turning lines of verse in linear time, undulating, reeds bend at a safe distance from the edge, some growing against the current. Words take courage and crumple it up like an old paper bag. Down in the river below, mother curled her cursive O's in grade school. Courage takes words to make deeds. Follow me down the riverbank and we'll put a few words together. Now, how did that start? <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to get poems listening to them one time. Yeah. So, so say something that would help, help the listener. Um, so there are a couple things going on in the poem. Um, first of all is this image of, of, a, of a stream, but the stream is like a snake. And then the verse in a poem is also doing the same thing. So you've got this interesting word image sound thing going on. And, and there's the undulating sand turning verse, undulating rivulets. So those sounds are all uh -huh. kind of snake-like. They're all, uh -huh. um, you know, kind of pulling you into the poem in that sound sort of way. Um, but then, even though they're moving in a stream, they're going against the current. So there's, you know, words maybe sometimes, you know, are like reeds that are against the current and with the current. So you've got this kind of turning or idea of the poem as a kind of turning. Um, but then, in a weird way, um, there's an old paper bag crumpled up. So you just, like, sometimes <laughs> you throw them away. And then mother shows up in the poem. Where did mother come from? I don't know. Somehow, <laughs> that idea of mother and 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 you know, a poem being impregnated, but also there's a birth element to it. You know, that kind of comes in um, metaphysically, right? And then um, and then we think about courage. Courage takes words to make action, to make deeds. Um, and then and then bring the reader in, right? So if this is not just a, a, a metaphysical moment for the poet. This is, hey, come in, let's make this together. Well, that's really helpful, and this is one of the things I'm so glad this is a recording. <laughs> Any, anybody listening, after hearing that, you may want to go back and listen to the poem again <laughs> and uh, see what you think. It's, it's a great pop capability that we have these days with modern communication. Yeah. So I can give you another one that sure. um, is definitely what I would consider a sound poem. It's got a lot of words that are very impregnated with image and sound at the same time. There's a lot of alliteration going on. Um, and it moves fast, but it's very condensed. So it's like this, this super, super tight, condensed sound piece. It's called The Stale Air Conceits Sun. It's a nature poem. White buds spread open in clusters. Petals play a myriad scent, heavy as the blue hair's bottled cologne. Drums hum in the yellow center, dizzy delight and drunken dust butter back and hind flanks. This one thorny vine patch for miles, turning summer, thick as day sun crosses night, to draw the fingers to the pear tips. Blunt, smooth flesh, green skin, heat so hot as weight to render the fruit before 
petals yield to hips and ash. Mm -hmm. And you reminded me with all that sound that you told me before we turned on the recording that you are teaching a class of hip hop. Yes, that's right. And I don't know, just how's that related to your poetic interests and whatever? Certainly the sound's a big deal there. Oh, yeah. Um, this is definitely a poem that, that came after I started teaching that class um, three years ago, and I've taught it once every spring since then. Um, the hip-hop, uh, for me, I, I don't come from the hip-hop tradition necessarily, but I can appreciate the kind of um, sound piling that many of the old-school hip-hop artists do, mm -hmm. like Tribe Called Quest, Diggable Planets. These guys they just, it's like they're puncturing the line with sound. And it's not just alliteration. It's a kind of exaggeration of, of sound. So it's uh, repetition within the line. It's putting two pieces up together kind of um, in, in somewhat a, combat, a combative way, sound-wise. Hmm. But there's always an interconnection between the sound, some sound in the word. Um, and... Uh, and it's it's actually a, a jazz technique that they're picking up on, um, mm. which is a kind which is called um, exaggerated or virtuoso rhyming, um, and uh, and and word concentration. So they're taking a sound or multiple kinds of sounds and turning them from one one word to the next. So, um, an an example of that in this piece is uh, drones hum in the yellow center, dizzy delight and drunken dust, butter back and hind flanks. So you get the delight with the flanks. You get dizzy butter. You get drunken back, dust hind flanks. So yeah. there are the, the sounds that are repetition, but they may be inverted repetition, um, where you're swapping oh, cool. syllables or you're swapping phonemes. And doing that is... Um, is really fascinating um, to me. And so in that particular poem, <laughs> you're right to make that association because I'm definitely trying to capitalize on something that these yeah. um, hip, -hop, hip, -hop, hip hop artists are doing really beautifully and, uh, and in an intense way. Yeah, I, th I think it's like, it's like slam. The best people are really, really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, people knock it, but the best people are the best. They're just extremely talented. That butter line popped out while yeah. you're reading it. That whole section. Now you showed me why. Yeah. Because of the other things that are around it. And then, bam. Yeah, yeah. Which is true. Any good line is going to, to gonna sort of rise to the surface because you've supported it with other lines around it. Ooh. Yeah. Here's another, a slightly different direction. Uh, the relationship of your visual arts activities and interests with your poetry. Yeah. What about that? Um, I've been painting since I was a child. I'm a daughter of a visual artist who worked in very, very large non-objective media. Um, she was an acrylic painter. Um, my my mother, my grandmother, was a visual artist as well who worked in oil painting. And I, uh, when I went to college, I started painting. Um, but I didn't have any money, so I bought watercolors in India ink and started um, painting with that. And so my my art developed totally on my own. It's very unschooled, and uh, and it's it's uh, mostly watercolor mm -hmm. and mixed media. 
Um, but that, that for me, um, really honed my visual sensibilities. And so when I'm writing poetry, I'm always in a visual space. So even if I'm in a metaphysical space in the poem, which many of these poems are about being, that being is always, always, always funneled through sight. So um, it's got to be somewhat phantasmagorial in a way, you know, <laughs> that that visual has to be larger than life, um, which is interesting. I remember before we started, you were um, talking about the, the cover of this book and how it looks like a phoenix rising out of flames. I painted the cover of the of the book Thin Matter mm-hmm. and um, that the title itself, Thin Matter, has to do with the metaphysical state of being. Like, what is matter? Is it thin? Is it thick? Is it? Does it have weight? Does it have measure? Um, but as soon as you have that idea of the self rising up out of flames, then you have this idea that matter doesn't matter. Right? Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I get that. Because I'll it's confess. constant. It's constantly recreating, right? We're so our identities as we move through, as we accumulate different experiences, we're constantly changing who we are every moment. Our cells, even you know, our cells are dying. They're recreating. So every time we move as people, we are recreating ourselves, right? And so that you know that's some of that philosophy behind this piece. Now, how does that like come out in the poems? I don't know. You I don't wanna... know. I can try to, <laughs> 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 try to read that one that I think about. Analytical there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, early on, in the very beginning, I was going to just ask you if you'd say just a word or two about what you mean by metaphysical. Okay, so metaphysical is the um, the realm of being or how we think about ourselves beyond the physical tangible reality so it's our spiritual selves it's our our experience it's our memories it's anything that we can't bottle and sell (laughs) that's your metaphysical self (laughs) that's that yeah that's how i see that now yes yeah yeah and and our identities are wrapped up in that too because you can't you can't get inside someone's head can't do that Mm -hmm. but all we have you know the poems themselves are actually physical we can read them they're recorded they're these things but the thing that is metaphysical is the reading of them because that can't be recreated unless it's recorded of course but then you could have a different reading sure yeah Yeah. so well let's let's hear another poem or two all right so um i'm gonna read uh i'm gonna read three in a row okay. to give you a sense of how this idea of the self and metaphysics in, uh, the, in the nature of things um, comes up. Angle breaks, disturbs the old. The fall, the flux, the mead and mash, once tripping the violent nature bound to chaos bend and flotsam true, an ode to law, a song to stock, the shelf too tired, pending black. In stare, my stare, in the mirror tell, 
the elect few trees to bend to light the difference makes. The points cut across, apart. A husk, a path opens. I cannot fall into it on either side. Rend and spit out, plow through it, burst, cut, friendless, turning your infinite seedling. The seed. Asleep, at rest, composed, sweet, small, salient, kinetic drop of life in a little pod, cold to make hearty, heart to make strong, intense to put out, to set, tension, energy, movement, a stirring in tension poised in the balance between is and being intend to tend sweet song blessing my love my love to make good to grow white roots of peace all right so well, give us a little narrative on your connections on your connective tissue there um so the seed, yeah. right? The seed is this this thing that holds life, but we don't see it hold life until it blossoms. Yeah. So it's in this weird, infinite state of tension between mm -hmm. itself and what it will become. Yeah, that's that's a really good, straightforward example, I think. Of what you were talking about, about what you can see, but what's really in there that matters. Yeah. Shouldn't use the word matter, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it really counts. Uh, yeah. Or it's that essence. weird, it's that pun on what matter is to matter <laughs> or what matter is. Yeah. 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 Well, what about, what about the other two? So the other two are yeah. one is that another sound poem. And I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you heard that it here, one. folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> the poet is working on what it means. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that one, it's like, <laughs> it just, it gets me. I love it. I love saying it. I love the sounds of it. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that, that sticks out for me when I read it is in stare, my stare, in the mirror tell, is that, um, you know, we look, we look in the mirror to tell us about ourselves, but we can't. The mirror tells us nothing, you know, and, uh, um, and it's like once that moment happens in the poem, it's like, you know, all the ideas of the social world kind of fall away, all of the, the rules and the, you know, the shelf that we have to stock, the odes, the laws, the, you know, all this stuff in, in, that we use to try to order the chaos of our world, you know, mm. flotsam yeah. true. Well, <laughs> yes, I can stay the true course. What is it? You know, um, and then, and then when we reflect back on ourselves, it's like, that's what difference is, you know, that's what makes us who yeah. we are. 
that reflective well, self. Yeah. Well, I think we've got time for one more. Okay. This poem is called Desire, and uh, and this is published actually as a broadside this summer, um, summer 2016. Um, so it's a painted poem, and it's a visual poem, and it has an order, um, but it, it also doesn't. It, uh, it invites different kinds of readings as, uh, as, as the reader looks at it. Um, so when I read it, I'm, I'm not reading it from start to finish because there is a place in the poem or places where you can have different detours of, of readings. And in a way, that's also what the poem is about and about desire, because desire takes you off course. <laughs> you may believe that you're in one place, but then it'll detour to something else. And, and on the page, the way it's arranged is the, the second line, the even numbered lines, start sort of in the middle, you might say. And the odd numbered lines, like the first line, it comes out from the left and goes a little bit past the middle. So in the middle of the poem, <laughs> the odd and even lines overlap and they go out as long as they are. That, if that's not clear, I'm sorry, folks. It's the best <laughs> I can think of. I love it. I think that's a fantastic okay. description. Um, well, you're looking at the poem. <laughs> anyway, here's the poem Desire. <laughs> and it's got an unusual display on the page, so you can read it in all different directions. Every corner is a detour, a cut against time, a knife in the air before sharpening, holding space in between. Every corner is a detour, alternate lines meet, the blade against fruit, the blade before a cut, or vegetable into the corner of thought each moment severed becomes more human to make neat slices the blade before sharpening quivering hands becomes more human every corner is a detour a choice not taken precision the arc of a blade i am afraid of myself charting the infinite I am afraid of myself, parallelogram, rhombus, perpendicular lines, holding space in between, tucked away. We all have separate selves, names kept secret. Whoa, that was desire. That was desire. Which takes you off course. Yes, it does. But you don't mind. No, because <laughs> it's all about going with the flow, going with where where that inside is taking you. Perfect. Well, we're going to let it go with that. Ella Fair Skeevy right here in Albany, New York. Thanks a whole lot for being with us on Poetry Spoken here. It's always a pleasure to think about Rita Dove and her poetry. She's a fine poet and person. Dove has written short stories, essays, a novel, and of course, lots of poetry. Her many honors include the 1987 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, the Fulbright Lifetime Achievement Medal, and 20 honorary doctorates. When she was only 40 years old, she was the youngest person ever appointed Poet Laureate of the United States, and she later served as Poet Laureate for the state of Virginia from 2004 to 2006. She's also the editor of the Penguin Anthology of 20th Century American Poetry. I should say, the controversial anthology. It was negatively reviewed by the prominent critic Helen Venler 
for what Wendler called an emphasis on multicultural inclusiveness rather than quality. I'll go on record here as agreeing with Dove's spirited response to Wendler, explaining and uh, defending her choices and showing their validity. You can read it in the New York Review of Books. Just Google it. But enough of that. I want to talk about Dove's recently published Collected Poems from 1974 to 2004. First, I want to say that I enjoy getting to know the complexity of Rita Dove just about as much as I enjoy reading her poems. She is a complex and interesting person who's written a wide range of topics in her poetry, including war, history, slavery, race relations, her grandparents living in Europe, and ballroom dancing. There's too much in this collection to get into great depth, so I'll just highlight a a few poems that stood out for me. I particularly appreciated a view of a, a young Rita Dove as a wildly curious young teenager in a poem called Maple Valley Branch Library, 1967. English teachers, I'm aware it's a no-no to presume the voice in the poem is the poet, but in her work, she shows sufficient erudition, and in this book, she laid out three or four vocabulary words I had never seen before, but I'm just going to assume this wildly curious young teenager has a, a bit of autobiography to her. And in this poem describing the young girl's, uh, let's call them adventures, in the library, she says, there's so much to discover. How to lay out a road, the language of flowers, the place of women in the tribe of moost, and equations as elegant as a French twist. I'd go up to the desk and ask for help on bareback rodeo, binary codes, phonics, gestalt theory lead poisoning in the late Roman Empire. I love it. And she says she goes up to the to the librarian there and asks for things like, oh, pre-Columbian pottery, Chinese foot binding, but, quote, all I wanted to know was, tell me what you've read that keeps that half-smile afloat above the collar of your impeccable blouse. So, and how every week she would take home the, the uh not required the the limit of books that she could take. And on the way, carrying it home past five blocks of aluminum siding and the old garage where on its boarded up dolls, doors, someone had scrawled, I can eat an elephant if I take small bites. Yes, I said to no one in particular. That's what I'm going to do. Read it of Maple Valley Branch Library, 1967. I also enjoy the way Dove mixes high and low culture, as in the poem Shakespeare Say. The poem talks about blues man Champion Jack Dupree touring Europe, with a red eye for women with a diamond-studded ear, with sand in a mouthful of mush. He's, he's going down slow, crooning, and saying, Shakespeare Say, man must be careful what he kiss when he drunk. As the night wears on and he's into the third set, it's getting late. And there's just a few stragglers that she says are stinking on beer. Champion Jack Dupree is playing. He's playing so wild, so half drunk. So, And she says, even the mistakes sound like jazz. And he's singing, poor me, my home's in Louisiana. I'm broke and can't hold my piss. My mother told me there'd be days like this. I'm Charlie Rossiter. 
and you've been listening to my reactions to Rita Dove's recently published collected poems that I can highly recommend. Join us again next time on Poetry Spoken Here, and let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rouseter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monday. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.